Welcome to Seek Reality with Roberta Grimes. Joyous conversations about what the afterlife evidence and modern science combine to tell us is true about our one reality. You have nothing to fear. You are eternal and you are perfectly loved. Knowing the truth changes everything. Now, here's Roberta. Welcome to Seek Reality. I'm Roberta Grimes and I'm so happy you're with us today. You know, perhaps the most basic thing that all of us do and the thing that really separates us from all the other creatures on this planet is that we we verbally communicate with others of our own species, right? And we began to verbally communicate hundreds of thousands of years ago, and each of us starts to do it ourselves when we're maybe a year old, or some of us start even before a year old. And my goodness, what with TV and the internet, there's more and more verbal communication going on now in our houses than there ever was before. So why is it that that we seem to be understanding each other even less now than we ever have been able to understand one another in all of human history? We're talking past each other all the time. Perhaps it's time, after all, to take a step back and to learn to really maybe start paying more attention to one another. I haven't much talked about it here, but my own working career has been as an attorney for the owners of closely held and primarily family businesses. And I've been doing this work for what's now going on 40 years. I'm an attorney who has never never seen the inside of a courtroom, but I must have drafted at least 100,000 documents. That's what I do. I, I have helped a few of these businesses move to the second and then to the third generation, and in a couple of them, we're working on the fourth generation of family ownership. And it might surprise you to know that a lot of what I've done for some of my dear families that I love as if they were my own families, as they move from generation to generation, has been to help them learn to better communicate with one another. They don't talk to one another, some of them really, except through me until I help them, you know, learn to communicate directly. This, I have to tell you, has been the best career you can imagine. In fact, it's been such a good career, I haven't stopped it to this day, and I should have retired maybe 15 years ago. But there's lots of love in what I do and joy every single day, and I'm still working because I really can't give it up. It's like peanuts. I can't give it up. My clients' families are my families, and one thing I've learned, perhaps above all else, is the crucial need to teach family members to listen and to better understand one another as they communicate. Our guest today is Michelle Gladio. Michelle is an instructional designer. She's a trainer and executive coach who specializes in helping people raise their game as communicators. She's had 18 years of collegiate teaching experience at three universities in her home state of Indiana after after having, believe it or not, accepted her first adjunct faculty position when she was just 23. I wasn't even doing my work when I was 23. I had to be older than that. Her book is called Communicate with Courage, Taking Risks to Overcome the Four Hidden Challenges. She offers practical strategies there to improve our professional and personal lives. I should have had her book when I started out. Like me, Michelle loves to help people learn this absolutely essential skill of better communication in the real world. Michelle, welcome. I'm very glad to have you with us today. I'm very grateful that you invited me. Thanks, Roberta. 
First, let's talk a little bit about your history. What got you interested in thinking about the ways that people communicate and how to improve them? Well, it really feels like a vocation. You know, sometimes just as a little kid, even you feel drawn towards certain events or certain happenings in your life. And I was always very highly attuned. If there was an argument in my family, I felt it deeply. If there was a win that someone was celebrating, I wanted to be part of that communication. It just has been something that's resonated with me. And maybe that's because I have lower skills in other areas, you know, because we go towards our strengths. But I've always been interested in teaching and coaching. And even as a kid was trying to offer my teachers some advice about how they might interact differently with students. So I knew I wanted to study organizational psychology and went off to Purdue University when I was 17 and spent six years there getting my undergraduate and graduate degrees and studying this science of how humans communicate um, in the workplace. But this book is a little bit of a deviation from most of my training and coaching work in that it applies equally to people's personal lives. So if our listeners would like to improve their message sending and receiving with their significant others or their family and friends, I think it will be equally applicable as it is in um, profit and nonprofit organizations. It has been interesting in my career to see that in families, very often people have trouble talking to one another. They're so sure they know what they want to say that they can't really hear what the what the brother, often it's brothers, wants to say, and they can't listen. Why is that? Yeah, brothers, sisters, parents, children, and it may be because of um, past hurts, intentional or unintentional, that have yet to be addressed. There's just a ton of risk involved when it comes to heartfelt communication and being vulnerable with one another. It greatly affects our self-esteem, and I absolutely understand that, but, um, you know, all of us are afraid sometimes of communication, and that's okay. It's normal to have that fear sometimes, especially when stakes are high. But what I want is for the readers of this book or listeners, if they're choosing to download on Audible, when the fear starts controlling our choices as communicators, that's when it becomes dysfunctional. So this book was written with a lot of love and sincere hopes that folks who read it will be able to do a little self-diagnosis of what type of fear is holding them back as communicators. And that's why I tried to refine the four hidden challenges and then define them carefully and succinctly so folks can sort of begin to see what type of fear trips them up and then what to do about those hidden challenges. Well, let's talk about that. Of course, primarily I'm working with people in the uh, in the context of family businesses. And there the risk is, um, you know, there maybe it's there are three brothers and they're worried that if, you know, that one of the brothers is going to get to run the business. And and so therefore, that's the risk. You know, dad will pick my brother rather than me to be the CEO, that kind of risk. But what are, talk about some of the risks that you see people facing. 
Well, yes. And when dad or mom or whomever holds that majority stock is choosing who to hire, hopefully it is like <clears throat> every good hiring decision based on job relevant characteristics, right? We do a lot of teaching about selection decisions at my company and other organizational communication challenges. And we try to get people to kind of recognize their bias and not act on it. But more to your point, the four hidden challenges are often hidden from view challenges that I write about are hiding from risk. And sometimes we're defining to be right, rationalizing the negative or settling for good enough. And if you'd like, I could go through a short operational definition of each for our listeners. Of course. Sure. Okay. Hiding from risk is when we are afraid we're going to get hurt if someone can see that we don't have it all together or that we're not everything that we or they hoped we would be. So to get over hiding from risk, that fear, when it comes up, we need to get clear on our values and we can decide to engage despite the fear, especially when it's about maybe sticking up for ourselves or a loved one or a coworker. The second challenge is defining to be right. And that certainly describes me, especially in conflict sometimes. That is when we are just so darn sure that we have blinders on and we've made up our mind before we've collected all the data or perhaps we've collected data and we're not willing to look at it with an open mind. So to overcome defining to be right, the book explains a lot of ways to do that. But a few of them are we can summon the courage to test our assumptions and see that we make assumptions rather than relying on them and maybe celebrate when we have the guts to admit that we're wrong or perhaps we were misinformed. The third hidden challenge is rationalizing the negative, and that is adopting a pessimistic mindset. We really do have to make a choice, everyone. We have to make a choice as communicators and just as humans. Is life difficult, but joy is possible and worth working towards, and positive outcomes are worth visualizing? Or are we always going to be looking for what might go wrong and then stopping ourselves from trying because it may not work, he may not listen, they may not care, she may not change. So to overcome that pessimistic view of rationalizing the negative, we can take some more smart risks, some chances to say the hard thing, face conflict, apologize, ask for help, say I love you, negotiate, maybe say some of those things we think but we don't verbalize because we're afraid that it might not go well. So one way that I speak about in the book to overcome rationalizing the negative is to have the courage, summon the courage in yourself to actually put some faith and some time into imagining possible positive outcomes. Yes, the communication might fail if you try, but it will definitely not succeed if you don't try. So we have to begin to look at risk, right? As engaging in a new behavior, no guarantee of what the result will be. Absolutely. That's the third hidden challenge. And there's one more that I write about called settling for good enough. Settling for good enough happens when we stop at a satisfying effort, you know, just enough to get by instead of striving towards an interaction 
that might have a more rewarding outcome, like a deepening of the relationship or a, an opportunity for a promotion or new job or a way to rebuild a relationship that needs a little attention or improved customer service, just a little more extension of ourselves to others. And when we overcome settling for good enough, I think we sleep better. We go to sleep probably more tired <laughs> from, from working hard as a communicator that day. But we also put our head on the pillow feeling proud of ourselves that we overcame a fear to step towards giving even 1% more. And when we do that, I think we gain more than we give. I certainly have. Yeah, I think that stretching is so important. Um, working in family businesses especially, um, I, I find that stretching is important. I, what I try to do is to get people to put love into it because, you know, these are all families. And it's, so there's the, 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 the business is part of it. But the family is part of it. And what we're trying to do is build both of them. And especially if I'm called into it at after strain is already apparent, um, I'm trying to rebuild both at the same time. I'm trying to make the business work more efficiently and better. But also I'm trying to, to mend some wounds that have been created in the family structure itself and, and rebuild the love part. Um, and, and that's difficult when people are already adults where I'm, where I'm trying to help them find love that has already been sort of lost or damaged. And, and, uh, there we don't, we're not going to settle for good enough there. We're going to rebuild love that was, was much more apparent when, when, the, when the, the kids were children and, and we're, we're trying to repair relationships with parents who's, who, who really have been, been hurt by some things that the kids have said and done. And uh, it's so satisfying to see them understand how important that part is. We're not moving on. We're rebuilding something we can really build on and feel good about. Because once the parents are gone, there's no no rebuilding that. That's fascinating. That's fascinating. I'm, I'm going to, if I may, yeah. may I ask you a question? Sure. How do you, what are some of the ways you go about trying to reestablish that love or trust? between folks who are at odds? We, we begin by helping them understand that's where it starts. Because they have forgotten all about that. Everyone thinks it's just forward. But I, I try to help them remember that what we're building here is something, is, is a legacy. How do you build a house? If you want to build a house that's going to last, we first build a foundation. What's our foundation? It's the parents. Mm. And in one meeting, I could help them remember. Usually it only takes one meeting and you would, and you know, they came in all angry at one another and we don't even talk about all the things they're angry about. We talk about the foundation and they, and, and there are a lot of sober faces that leave that meeting, but the next meeting they're ready to start really doing the work we need to do in, in, in that business. It is amazing how it, we can turn it around and start building, building right. I, I, I'm surprised, Michelle, at how people can reorient themselves toward what's important after that meet, first meeting. Well, what I hear, I hear that you have a special gift for that. And it helps to be an outside subject matter expert facilitator that they're paying for the time. So they're being asked to bring their best selves 
as communicators to that situation. And they might be a little surprised that they have to fa- they have to face some personal conflicts before you can move forward with a strong foundation. Yeah. I mean, but yeah. I don't think just anyone could pull this off, Roberta. I think it's a, a, a talent you've honed and been blessed with at the same time. It, it is surprising. Yeah. But, but, but the point is, they thought it was all about business and it was yeah. all about who was best at it. And it was all, yeah. oh, oh you would, you'd be surprised how making them remember that it was all really all about mom and mom won't be here much longer. So let's fix that first. And, and usually it only takes that one meeting. Sometimes I have to have an individual meeting because I can usually spot who the, the real, you know, there's all, there's usually a jerk and I can usually mm-hmm. spot the jerk and, mm-hmm. and the jerk and I will have a private meeting and I can mm-hmm. usually shape him up. It's always, a, always a boy. Um, <laughs> and often the oldest. Mm. Yeah. Mm. But, but yeah, it, it, but then it's pretty easy from then on to fix it. It doesn't take that. It takes about a year. Mm. And, and we, and, and we have the whole family fixed. And then it's easy to fix the business. The business is just a business. It's easy. What a great way to help families communicate better while we talk about it's what's best for the business. Then they can they can set some things aside, some ego, some fear, and do what's best for the legacy of the business. That's great. And once the parents have died, there is no no way to fix those relationships. Once the parents are are gone, the family is dead. But as long as the parents are alive, we can usually fix everything. There will still be family dinners, believe it or not. That's beautiful. And pictures of the parents at, still on the family table. Oh, yeah. Because, you know, the, this is what I kind of do with my life anyway. As you know, I, I teach about the afterlife. Oh, yeah. <laughs> family goes on. Mm-hmm. But anyway. Yeah. Two of the techniques that I have found helpful for um I don't work with families in conflict. I work with organizational teams and employees in conflict quite often to facilitate improved communication. And I find two tips to be very helpful that I think we can all use personally or professionally. And that is the pro move, as I call them, these pro moves throughout the book are meant to help people stretch in areas that many people miss opportunities to stretch in. And one pro move is motive. State your intention or your motivation for your communication. And ideally, it should be helpful, you know, a helpful motive that is candidly stated and kind and real, you know, in other words, honest. But when we approach people and we use a preamble of stating our motive, you know, I want to ask you about how you're approaching this project. And I'm definitely not trying to tell you how to do your job. I just seek to understand so I can explain it to my team. When that motive is stated, walls lower. And another pro move that I like to teach to communicators is to ask for feedback when you don't have to. So it could be after a meeting, after a presentation, any opportunity that another person, ideally a trusted colleague, boss, employee, customer, has seen you communicating or read your emails for that matter, then to circle back to them and say, hey, one of my goals for this year is to become a, a better communicator, stronger, more effective communicator. Can you tell me something you see in my communication that you appreciate or think I do well? And also, I'm very interested in what you've noticed that you think I could sometimes do better. 
And I call that exercise the feedback challenge. I developed it originally for the Air Force when I was designing training and teaching leadership skills for the 122nd Fighter Wing here in Fort Wayne, Indiana, where I'm based. And then I realized that worked very well with the officers and leaders coming to those trainings. They went out, they got feedback, they summarized it. And then the next training session, I asked each leader to present, what was your favorite piece of feedback you received? In other words, your favorite piece of praise from this feedback challenge. And what was your favorite piece of criticism? What piece of criticism was most useful to your growth? What did you change because of it? And to hear these answers, extremely heartening. And also, I think lives, certainly at least work lives, changed from that moment on once feedback is received. And those folks can then go apply that to their personal lives as well. You know, go home and talk to the significant other or the family. Hey, I did this exercise and leadership training with Gladio Consulting and my instructor, Michelle, assigned the homework that I asked 12 or 14 or 16 or 20 people if they would like to participate to give me a piece of praise and a piece of criticism about how I communicate. Here's what I heard. What do you think? Is that accurate? Do I do that at home? Amazing the ripple effects of just asking for feedback and lowering your wall to be brave enough to get it. So I highly recommend Bravery is the key. Yes. Bravery is the key. And how do we get to be more brave? We act as if we are. Yeah, <laughs> that, that's right. That's right. You just There's no pill that we can prescribe, but it's about risk, engaging in a new mindset or new behavior with no guarantee of what the result will be. Being willing to hear the truth as interesting new information is very important. Yeah. And then being willing to try something new. Oh, is that true? Did I really come across that way? I wonder. Let me try this different way of of reacting, of behaving, of let's see. It's like putting on a new hat and seeing how that looks and how that feels. A little bit of death of the ego there, because that means that yeah. perhaps in the past we weren't always at our best. And that can yes. be very hard. Yeah. especially for folks with lower self-esteem or high e higher ego strength to deal with. But isn't that why we're here? Isn't it to, I think, it's, I think that we're here to get better at communication. And I know that life becomes much less complicated when we are brave enough to look at ourselves. And it's a real reason for celebration, just like we might go to the gym or, or have an exercise program where we're trying to build muscle and become stronger, core strength. I know that's something that my fitness trainer talks a lot about and that in physical therapy I've learned about. Well, there's core strength as communicators as well. And one of the most important core strengths is are you asking for feedback? And it goes much easier when you state your intention. I just want to learn. I'm looking at myself. I'm looking at myself at age 85 or 58 or 32 or 19. Yeah, Every year is a good year. to try on a new hat and see you know, see how different you feel. It's it's exciting to to try to behave in a different way toward people and see how they react to that. Um, it's, I mean, with, personally, I love the idea that if I behave a little differently with people and they react to that differently and, and maybe react better, wow, I've learned something new about how I can behave toward people. And if it helps them, to hear me better, then that that's exciting to me. 
I mean, isn't that exactly. exciting? People take more action on the feedback you give them. Yes. People then respond in ways they might respond more quickly to your request or your yes. email. They're more willing to help you. Yes, you win. I can help them better yes. if I can communicate better with them. So I've learned something new about how I can help them. It is a little bit of a medicinal taste, though, when someone gives us feedback and some people aren't very kind about it, which says more about their skill as communicators than it does about our human value. Yeah, I don't take it personally at all. Oh, long since I've stopped taking that personally. Good, good, good. I just love it when I when I can think of a better way to communicate something. It it just it just things get things get clearer to me about how I can help them. I love that. And courage is a muscle. We strengthen it with use. So what our listeners could do that would be actionable today is say I was thinking about Communicate with Courage today. I heard a podcast and the guest and the host offered a challenge that I asked someone I trust what I might be able to do better. Could be written communication, body language, eye contact, tone, volume, word choice. Yeah. What do you think I could do better? Yeah. I'd love to know. And then we have to be very careful that we don't become passive aggressive and say, thank you for the feedback. We must say that and we must mean it. And I like to say, thank you for sharing that with me. I'll think about that. And that way I'm not promising that I'm going to be a new person tomorrow. I'm not even promising I'm going to make a change. I say, thank you for sharing that with me. I'm going to think about that. And then go think about it. Get away from the person and go think about it. Because everything we don't know has the potential to control our lives and our communication. So we are inside ourselves looking out at the world. It's really impossible to know how we're coming across. And if we can be open to asking, we get better. I, I I love the idea of of asking people, you know, how do I come come across? I mean, some people, no matter how many times you say it to them, they won't change. <laughs> yeah, some yeah. people like my husband, but that's all right. I don't. I I I'll keep telling him that's all right. One thing we can have our listeners participate in that's a fun pro move, and I think it's a pretty easy communication strategy is. I talk about this at the end of chapter 10, the last short chapter in in chapter 10, the complete risk-taking communicator. I offer this tip. We can benchmark inspiring people around us who live their mission. We see them and we think, wow, they're a great listener or boy, that was a brave, that was a brave thing to do in a presentation or that person really makes me feel seen. There are people all around us all the time making communication decisions that we can look up to. So benchmark inspiring people who have some secret sauce as a communicator. And one of the ways that we can get better is by borrowing a few of their strategies, methods, or ideas. And we can even ask them, you know, you stayed very calm during that conflict with that customer or in that tough situation. How do you do that? What tips do you have for me? And as we do informational interviews with the folks around us, we can start to apply what they say so it makes sense to us, and then we can adjust it so it fits our personality. Yeah, it's great. If you see someone who's 
real good at it. It's really good. Yes. Yes. And I like to, you know, I prefer when I, I, I mainly watch men. I mainly were really, there were some men who were really, really good at it. I watched them. And you watch them and then you can translate that to your own style. Yeah. I prefer to write about people I know. So this book is packed with real life examples from real life people that I try to really color in for the reader who these folks are that I've been blessed to know and still know most of them to this day and what makes them special. And they aren't necessarily, you know, the CEO of the fortune 200 firm, although they could be. And, and some of those folks are our coaching clients and we learn from them too, but it, it's in the family and the friends it's all around. I'm so inspired by the beautiful diverse gifts in others. And when I study them, they start to become my own. I can start taking baby steps, which is all I'm asking from communicators is baby step type changes. And those changes net big, beautiful results. But we have to get in the mindset of extracurricular communication. Where can I deviate from my fears? And how can I give just a little bit more here of myself and push myself to listen a little better or to send my messages a little more skillfully? But those role models are all around us all the time. So true. And and I and watching them, one of the things you describe uh, in, in early in the, in your book is is your your brother's um, funeral. Um, did your brother pass in a motorcycle accident? No, he didn't. He just had. Um, we really don't have any good conclusions about how he died. He was a young man. He was twenty seven, but um, perhaps a heart arrhythmia or something in the heart malfunctioned, and we never really got any good answers about that but it didn't say why he died but he but all his friends he was apparently a motorcycle guy and all his friends came in their motorcycle regalia and it was so impressive this all these people in there and they they all saluted him in their motorcycle regalia and i thought my goodness if he died in a motorcycle accident and and all his friends came in their motorcycle regalia the family must have been traumatized by that. But if he didn't die in that in an accident, then that made more sense to me. No, you know, and I don't think we would have been traumatized. We would have appreciated the support. But if you'd like, I could read a paragraph about that. Okay, go ahead. This is from chapter two, understand risk to improve your relationships and career. Speaking of small talk at funerals, ugh, you know, there's a Harley owner out there. In fact, he owned a Harley dealership in my hometown who approached me at my nonconformist, motorcycle-loving, and life-loving Big Brother Mike's funeral when I was 19. Mike was seven years older than me, a six-foot-something electrical lineman, and he had long black hair. He must have had a lot of friends because the place was packed. This was uh, a memorial service in Fort Wayne, Indiana. This buddy of his stood squarely in front of me at the stuffy funeral home, wearing black leather head-to-toe, and loudly proclaimed, don't you worry now, little Shelly, your big brother's got his knees in the breeze in Harley heaven. I recall he was wearing he was wearing an American flag bandana on his head. People stopped talking and stared at us. I grinned. His courageous communication, deemed inappropriate by some, hit the mark with me completely. I've recalled it fondly, playing it over and over in my mind for many years. It took about 30 seconds and probably wasn't a big deal to him, 
but it was to me. It helped heal my broken heart. You know, and that's that's a great example of how giving just a little more can change the course of someone's day or someone's life. That friend of Mike's could have signed the book and, you know, stayed for a little while and then headed out. But he found me and made sure that our shoulders were square to one another and looked me in the eyes and in so doing looked right into my heart and instilled it with hope. And it still helps when I think back, um, you know, what was that, 30 years ago, I still think back to his generosity as a communicator. Sometimes the most important communications only take a minute. We rarely regret that time we've spent. Many people, of course, ask me about how you communicate uh, with people who have lost a loved one. Now, this is an especially tragic kind of loss. A very young man, I mean, nobody knows what to say. And that was an inspired communication about the loss of a young man. And um, I, I, that's what I would tell someone to say. I mean, the way what what I tend to want to say is, you know, lucky him. What what a beautiful, what a beautiful uh, that 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 was a beautiful thing that he said, mm-hmm. and and uh, and and you received it beautifully. But but and he knew just what to say, and and you knew just what to say back to him. But very few people know what to say when, when a young person has transitioned. Um, I think a good thing to say can can often be, let's go back to state your intention, speak from the heart, speak your feelings. You could say, I just don't have any idea what to say to you, but I'm thinking of you often. You know, that's fair, too. Nobody knows what to say. There's it's hard to know what to say, but saying something even just to to hold space for the person's anger or grieving, etc., is where it's at because we are emotional creatures and logical creatures. The logic doesn't come into play sometimes uh, as easily when it's a highly difficult communication. And that's when we can still improve the situation just by sharing with it. We're at a loss for words, but we're holding the person in our heart. But to say he's got his knees in the breeze in Harley heaven Mm And, and, so. and to add, <laughs> and he can't possibly be hurt now that he's finally able to ride a motorcycle and you can't be hurt there now. So he can ride as fast as he wants and be a daredevil. I hope so. I often think when I have travels, I hope he's riding with me. Yeah, I'm sure he is. I think of him. <laughs> but I thought that was inspired. I thought that well, was. Thank brilliant. you. I was so happy, Roberta, to find um to find a way to memorialize him or just. I don't have occasions. Many of us don't have much occasion to talk about people who have passed after they've passed. So um, that was one of the the great gifts of writing this book is I got to to talk about role models of mine, both living and deceased. And I think they're equally valuable to all of us. Right. We can think about people who have passed on and learn from them. We can think about people who are here with us now and learn from them. It's all fair game. Yeah, quite beautiful. I also wanted you just quickly to tell me, because I read this passage, I think, three times. I still don't understand it. The difference between emotional intelligence and intelligence quotient. You just, you talked about that, and I didn't get it. So, Sure, sure. IQ is something we've talked about for decades in this country. For example, if you're going to be 
maybe you were applying for a job in decades past, they give you an IQ test. And that's more of a test of intellectual quotient, book learning. And then there's emotional intelligence, which is more about do we, can we name and understand our own feelings and then manage them appropriately? So I look at it almost as the difference between book learning versus maybe heart and intuition type of learning or use of that intelligence. And the better we get at emotional intelligence, the more empathy we have for others. Okay, so EI is empathy and IQ is just book learning stuff. That's the way to put it. Yep. Okay. All right. All right. Yep. I just yep. I just wanted to make sure I got it because it was a whole lot more words. Yeah. And I kind of got lost in the words. Yes, no problem. And if folks would like to know, well, you know, and since emotional intelligence is such a huge component of masterful, really skilled communication, if they'd like to know sort of where they are along that continuum or some simple strategies to build their emotional intelligence, I offer them our website. We have spent a few years putting a lot of free and short to the point personal and professional development resources on our website. It's gladioconsulting.com. And you'll be able to click on free tools and research summaries and coaches corners. We recognize that not everyone has access to personal and professional development opportunities or reading and articles or question and answer. So I've written a really short emotional intelligence self quiz sort of things, a dozen or less statements, and then you would rate yourself on those and you, you start to see, oh, well, that's something I could do today to begin to build my emotional intelligence. And you know what? At any age, it's appropriate. We're never too old to learn about EQ or EI. They're pretty interchangeable, emotional intelligence and emotional quotient. That quick quiz, I'm looking at it now, just pulled it up from the website, has items in it like, I'm aware of the concerns of many people in my life. In other words, you are tracking how they're doing and care and check in with them. I seek criticism from others to improve myself and to learn and to improve my team. I take quiet time for personal reflection. I look for signs that can indicate how others are feeling. I'm willing to let others see my humanity and imperfections. Sometimes I build trust by sincerely sharing more than is required in communication. So that's just one example of a one-page free self-assessment they can find at our website, but there are many more opportunities to learn there as well. Because, of course, we can't be everywhere to deliver these seminars about mastering interpersonal communication, but we figured almost everyone has internet access. Let's get some of these tools online. That's great. That's super. Yeah, that, that's it, it, this is going to be in the notes every, also, so you don't have to drive up the road okay. to write it down. Don't do that. Yes, <laughs> that impossible to spell last name. Don't do that. <laughs> right. Gladio Consulting is her website. This has been wonderful. I'm so sorry we've come to the end of our time, my dear, but we'll do this again. Well, that went fast. <laughs> it always goes fast when we're having fun, doesn't it? Yeah. Yep. Thank you so well, thank much. Thank you for all you do, Roberta, for, for 10 years and more than 500 episodes. Your service <laughs> to others is really outstanding. 
Love, love to all of you uh, and for being our guest, our, frankly, our guests every week. The people who listen and, and, and just offer your comments. So some people just, just, um, I sometimes get emails just saying thank you for doing this. And I'm so mm-hmm. grateful to hear from the people that, that are just listening every week. Thank you so much. Mich- Michelle, what do you want people to take away from today? Well, I want them to know just start where you're at. And you all have beautiful strengths. And along with those strengths comes weaknesses that we have to acknowledge if we're going to overcome them. And that sometimes brings up a little fear, but you're strong enough to take a few baby steps forward. And each day that you do stretch a little bit more as a communicator, life delivers beautiful gifts in return. Have a little faith. Oh, so beautifully said. Thank you, dear. Big hug. Big hug back. <laughs> and, and again, everybody, we've come to the end of our time. This has been Seek Reality with Roberta Grimes. I'm so happy you could be with us today. And please never forget that you are a powerful, eternal being. You never began. You never will end. And when you really get that, it changes everything in your life for the better. Next week, our guest will be the wonderful Father Nathan Castle, and he'll be with us for the seventh time. As Mikey Morgan, our sixth-level friend, tells us, as many as a quarter of the people who currently transition don't do it smoothly and right away, although they're mostly rescued pretty quickly, some of them are not rescued as quickly or as smoothly because, frankly, they've gone off track because they feel guilty or they feel some kind of shame. And in those cases, Father Nathan will be called in after that person has, the person's guide is what their guides do is kind of help them get through it let's just say and feel less shame and then father nathan who's a dominican priest will be called in to help them transition and he's, he's written two books he's about to write a third and it may in fact be in print just yet i haven't checked but um, father nathan will be with us again to talk about what he does he's a big favorite among Seek Reality listeners. So please be sure to join us next week. You're going to be in the company of a truly beautiful, gigantically wonderful human being. And this week we've been talking with Michelle Gladio. She She's a communications coach and her book I just loved. It's called Communicate with Courage, Taking Risks to Overcome the Four Hidden Challenges. And I really believe in what she's doing because we all have to learn how to communicate from the heart in in difficult situations with love and with sensitivity, but firmly too, because people need to be told things sometimes that they ne- don't necessarily want to hear. And Michelle teaches it really well. She teaches it, frankly, with to, to some pretty big people. So um, I really recommend her book. Read her book, and we'll have her back to talk about this again. And now it's time for us once again to mention that Seek Reality Online is your one-stop resource for all things afterlife. Just go to seekreality.com and start to learn for yourself that your own reality really is eternal. Learn the ultimate truth from Craig Hogan himself, who is the ultimate expert on all things afterlife. And teachingsbyjesus.com is your one resource for all the beautiful divine truths that are brought to us in perfect love by the greatest teacher who ever lived. Master Jesus, the eternally risen Christ, it really is his turn now. As Christianity dies as a religion, the genuine teachings of Jesus can finally come alive. It's his turn now. 
the Lord's own entirely free religion-free website made by him and for him in perfect love for you. Also, as I'm sure you must know by now, my own nonfiction books are Liberating Jesus, My Thomas, The Fun of Dying, The Fun of Staying in Touch, The Fun of Growing Forever, The Fun of Living Together, and The Fun of Loving Jesus, Embracing the Christianity that He Taught. For young children, there's the fun of meeting Jesus, and you can order all these books through bookstores or on Amazon.com or on BarnesandNoble.com. And if you can't afford books, just send me an email. I'll send it to you as an ebook or whatever, as a PDF, and you can read it for free. If you want to talk about any of my books, just or anything, you can just contact me through the green contact block on com. Just be sure that you send me your correct email address because sometimes my emails bounce and I get sad. You don't want me to be sad. And meanwhile, this has been Seek Reality with Roberta Grimes. Please enjoy and make the most of this coming week in our one and only reality, always knowing that you are a powerful, eternal being, and you, most of all in this entire universe, you are infinitely loved. You've been listening to Seek Reality with Roberta Grimes. Roberta blogs and answers questions at robertagrimes.com. Join us every week as we explore what the afterlife evidence and modern science combine to tell us is true about the one reality we all share. Knowing the truth changes everything.